Turn your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 9. 9, starting in verse 18, we'll go to the end of the chapter. While Jesus spoke these things to them, behold, a ruler came and worshipped him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come, lay your hand on her, and she will live. So Jesus arose and followed him, and so did his disciples. And suddenly, a woman who had a flow of blood for twelve years came from behind and touched the hem of his garment. For she said to herself, If I just touch his garment, I shall be made well. But Jesus turned around, and when he saw her, he said, Be of good cheer, daughter, your faith has made you well. And the woman was made well from that hour. When Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd waiting, or wailing, excuse me, he said to them, Make room, for the girl is not dead but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But the crowd was put outside. He went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went out into all the land. When Jesus departed from there, two blind men followed him, crying out, saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. And when he came into the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, let it be done to you. And their eyes were open, and Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows it. But they went out, when they departed, spread the news about him in all the country. As they went out, behold, they brought a man to him, mute and demon-possessed. And when the demon was cast out, the mute man spoke, and the, and the multitudes marveled, saying, It was never seen like this in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He casts out demons by the power of demons, or ruler of demons. Then Jesus went all about the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered, like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is truly plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. The Lord had blessing to his word. Let's pray. Father, in my weakness and helplessness and even in my sinfulness, I ask you, Lord, to set me aside behind the cross. And I ask you to release your spirit into this place as you did on Pentecost. I ask you to release your spirit to do what he does, that is, convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment, and to convict us of our own bad motives and and the things that we do in our selfishness and our selfish and comfortable little lives. And I'm including me, Lord. I'm, I love to be, I love comfort. But Father, as we heard from Rick Hedger when he was here, we need to be concerned about the things that are important to you. And so I ask you to fill all of us with your spirit. For those who are here who still haven't submitted themselves to the Lord Jesus, Lord, I pray that the conviction would be so deep that they could do nothing but run to you for salvation. And for those who have been hesitating to serve, leaving it to somebody else, thinking that they can't do anything, help them to remember that the same Jesus we just read about is in us. 
So help us, Lord, to follow him in the way he wants to be followed. We pray it in his name. Amen. For those of you who were here when Rick Hedger spoke, you may remember he spoke on Matthew 9, 35 through 38. And I could never think of even improving on that message. It was really good. It was inspiring and challenging. But I want us to see the context of the passionate cry of Jesus to pray for workers to be sent into the harvest. Because we shall see several categories of people that Jesus loved and wanted harvested for his kingdom. As we examine these, we realize that it took miraculous power for these people to be healed, to accomplish this. But I want us to remember this, that the gospel, we're told in Romans 1.16, is the power of God unto salvation. And do you know that no one, no one can be saved without a miracle from God? No one. Salvation is a class A miracle. Because you take God's taking a heart that is so hard and sinful and dark that He turns that into something that's soft and wants to please God. That's repentance. It's a miracle. At least mine was because I was happy sinning. I thought I was a good guy. I went to church, did my thing. But I was... Happy is sinning. I thought it was anyway. I didn't realize I was under the domain of the darkness. But here's the thing. As we examine these people, I want you to be thinking to yourself who may be similar kinds of people that you know. Because we're going to look, first of all, at the diseased people. Then the dead Those in darkness, blind. Those who are dumb or couldn't speak. And the demon possessed. You say, why would you pick five Ds? I don't know why that happens. Uh, A Baptist preacher starts looking through things and got, oh, I got three points or five points. They all start with the same letter. Yay! Everybody will listen to me. Not necessarily. Each person's healing came by Jesus alone. Now, the passage starts out about a ruler who came to him and worshipped him, and his daughter lay dying, or possibly already dead, and he entreated Jesus to come and cause her to recover. Jesus agreed to go with him. But what happened on the way is what's amazing. There was a woman there who had an issue of the flow of blood, an inordinate flow, not like a regular menstrual cycle, for 12 years. Now, I would like you all to turn in your Bibles over to Mark chapter 5. Because there's a, there's a broader picture here of this woman and, this, and the situation with this man. In Mark chapter 5 verse 25, it says, Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years. And she suffered many things from many physicians. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? She spent all that she had and was no better. In fact, she grew worse. And when she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment and said, If I only can touch his clothes, I shall be made well. 
Immediately the fountain of blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? But the disciples said to him, You see this multitude thronging you and saying, And you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. And the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Be healed of your affliction. Something about this woman that's interesting. The issue of blood was chronic. A chronic condition. For 12 years. A lot of have suffered under chronic conditions. But it says she suffered things from many, many doctors. And she didn't get any better. Just no better. In fact, her condition got worse. In the midst of the crowd, she struggles to get close to Jesus and thinks to herself, I just touched the hem of his garment. I'll be whole. I don't need some religious experience, Lord. I don't need a great work to do that you'll notice me. Just a touch. Just a touch. Amazing, isn't it? The faith she had to work her way through that bustling, busy crowd just to touch his robe, his garment, just to touch him. And in her mind, in her thoughts, she said, if I just touch him, I'll be healed. What kind of faith is that in the Lord Jesus? Think about that. Do you feel like that yourself? Do you, do you sense that in yourself, that you have that kind of faith? When you're really in trouble, when you're really struggling with something, maybe sickness or whatever, do you believe if you just touch him? Every day you get up. Every day, you can just reach out for a simple touch of Jesus. Every day. And you know what? Sometimes he touches us unexpectedly, doesn't he, Debbie? (laughs) And it does wonders in our lives. As we progress through this chapter, we see how he exercised power toward us. Sometimes unnoticed. Now, if you look at Jesus' response to her, it was a busy, bustling street. And he says, who touched me? And the disciples thought it was a ridiculous statement. Why are you asking such a ridiculous thing? Because more than likely, if you've ever seen some of these thin little streets that you walk through, and for a crowd of people in there, you're going to get shoved this way and that way. So a lot of people were touching him. But unfortunately, a lot of people touch him when they come to this church and they still don't get what they came for. Because the faith she had in him was more important than anything. Do you agree with that? In the light of all this throng, he feels power leave him. Well, didn't he pour out power all the time? No, 
Only to those who had faith. There's no way for healing, there's no waiting for healing here. She was immediately healed, and she knew it. Huh. And, he, she, and he, he said, who touched me? She falls down and acknowledges this, and look at Jesus' response. Your faith has made you well. Now, you and I know there's no power in faith by itself. I mean, you can believe something, and you can be wrong, and so you're sincerely believing something, and you're sincerely wrong. It's got to be in the only one. Your faith is irrelevant. The person of Jesus is what's relevant here. So that's where the faith has to be. And when you do come to that one, whatever it is you're coming to him for, especially for salvation, your faith makes you whole. Now I want to look at the next person, even though this start this passage started with this person. And if you would, if you're in, in Mark 5, jump back to verse 21. And I'm just doing this so we can get a bigger picture of what happened. And it says here, Mark 21 through 24. When Jesus has crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, when he saw him, fell at his feet. And in Matthew's passage, it says he worshipped him. That's interesting. And begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed and live. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him. Now, in Matthew, it says that she was already dead. Here he says she's at the point of death. The Greek word in both places is at death's door. So that could mean they're already dead, or it could mean they're dying. They're at death's door door now we know later that she actually did die as we go on so drop down to verse 25 or 35 excuse me and mark there and let's see what happened while he was still speaking some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said your daughter's dead why trouble the teacher anymore and as soon as jesus heard the word that was spoken he said to the ruler don't be afraid just believe He permitted no one to follow him in except Peter, James, and John, and the brother of James. And when he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult of those who wept and and wailed loudly, while he came in, he said to them, Why all this commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. That's the way God sees our death, by the way. And they ridiculed him. And when he when they had put him out, all of them when he had put all of them outside, he took the father and the mother and those who were with him and entered where the child was. And when he and then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kumi, which is translated little girl, I say rise. Immediately the girl rose and walked, for she was twelve years of age, and they were overcome with amazement. But he commanded them strictly that no one should know it. And that nothing should be said. And then he commanded him to give her something to eat. I want you to think about this situation a little bit. And every time I share something from the Word of God, I want all of us to put ourselves in that situation. Here's a guy of quite a bit of importance, a ruler of the synagogue. More than likely, if he was listening to the other Pharisees around him, he wasn't really interested in Jesus. But this man had... A need. And that's what always drives us to the Lord. Not religion. 
Not being of this or that denomination, but a need. A deep need. I want to say this, that we are all at death's door every day. I travel 40 miles to get here every day I come up here. And I thank God when I arrive. I ask God before I leave. I thank God. Sometimes I ask God, Lord, keep me safe. And then I get a, a statement inside that, you know, that quiet and, and, and uh, almost imperceivable voice says, then drive slow. <laughs> but, okay. <laughs> but here's the thing. Jesus Christ is the only source of life. The only source. And praise God, He's the source of eternal life. When you believe in Him and receive Him, you're not, you're receiving eternal life. You can't die again. Or you say, I'm going to die physically. Eh, that's nothing. That's just a step into glory. But according to Jesus, you're just asleep. As we walk in the Spirit and we hear the promises of God, we often look at our circumstances and ridicule our Savior. Did you know that? We look at our circumstances and we ridicule our Savior. When he says the little girl's not dead, she's just sleeping, we go, har, har, har. What a ridiculous statement. That's not the way Christians are supposed to live. And don't feel too bad, I do it too. So. But we're more prone to believe what we see, not what we hear him say. That's why we need to have our minds renewed constantly in the word of God. Remembering that he cannot lie. Now Jesus kicks out all the naysayers and takes the mom and dad in. Other passages say he took Peter, James, and John. The point here is that being saved... From whatever it is you need to be saved from is strictly believing in Jesus. Believing that he really did take all your sin. Sometimes when I sin, when you sin, we wonder, does God still love me? Am I still okay with God? My friend, if you have been justified by the blood of Christ, God will not accept a charge against you. That's what he says in his word, right? And a devil comes along who's the accuser, the slanderer, and he comes along and says, oh, but yeah, look, I mean, that was worse than anything you've ever done. God's done with you. No, he's not. It says in Philippians 1, 6, he who began a good work in you will finish it until the day of Christ. He's not going to stop working with you, pleading with you, drawing you back. And so Jesus took it all, took it all. bore it all to death, the death you deserve, and then rose again. And because without resurrection, there's no salvation. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says this, if you believe in your heart that God, or that Jesus, no, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. Why is that so important? I shared this with a, a person the other day. They asked me, what's so important about the resurrection? It's crucial. It's proofs that the, what Jesus said from the cross is true. It is finished. Because if it's not, he'd still be dead. Amen? But he rose from the dead. 
Yes, hallelujah. And he rose from the dead and he sits at the right hand of God as your personal representative to God. You know, the idea there is a lawyer, a defense lawyer in the court of God. And when you sin, the devil goes up to God and says, look at that guy, what he did, that gal, that woman. How can you say that's your child? Jesus said, died for that, rose again, case closed. (laughs) That should be making you happy. He speaks and touches the girl. She comes alive and he commands them not to tell anybody about this. But it says the report went out here from all, in all the land there in Matthew. But I just want you to understand. In Ephesians 2, he tells us that we are dead. Dead in our sins and trespasses. But God made us alive and caused us to raise us up with Jesus, sitting us in the heavens with him. Not a puny salvation, is it? God accomplishes what he wants to accomplish. And you may think, well, all I did was believe. Well, that's all you have to do. Anything else you can't do. You're not capable. So now we've seen a person with a disease and a person who's dead. Now let's look at some people that are in darkness, blind. We encounter these two men. They cry out to Jesus for mercy. In other passages, he asked them what they want, and they said to receive our sight, Lord. Now comes a question from Jesus, and this is important. I want all of you to get this, because this is faith. His question here is simple. Do you believe that I can do this? If I wanted a definition of faith, there it is. That's it. Not, not have you got great faith and, 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 you know, if you pray through, praying is important, but you don't have to pray through salvation. You have to accept it. And you accept it by believing that what you hear in the Word of God about the complete forgiveness that you can have in Jesus Christ, you accept that. You believe He can do that. In fact, you believe He's done it. And what happens? Instant healing. Instant salvation. They say to him, yes, Lord. That's what he was waiting for. That's all he's waiting for. Yes, Lord. Remember, the power is not in the faith itself. Like, there's no power in prayer itself. The power is in the person you're praying to. There's no power in faith itself. It's who you have your faith in. If you don't understand that, then you'll try to make some kind of, your faith is some kind of religious work. It's not a religious work. In fact, it's not really a work at all. It's a response to a free gift. <laughs> have you done that? Have you really said that? I'm not going to ask you if you've asked Jesus in your heart. That's not in the Bible. There's no place you're told to do that. You're told to believe. The gospel is that Jesus died for your sins, was buried, rose again, and now sits at the right hand of God. Believe it. Not ask him into your heart. Some of the hearts that we ask him into, he wouldn't want to come in. In fact, most of our hearts are that way. 
what he wants us to do is to believe him so much that we're willing to die for him and for each other. Remember, the power is not in the faith. Our faith simply connects us with Jesus. James 1, 5 through 8, listen to what he says. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given him. Let him, but let him ask in faith, not with no doubting, for he who doubts is like the wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that person think that they will receive anything from the Lord. They are double-minded, man, unstable. Now, ref, this reference to double-mindedness here means that it's a person who, I think I want this, but maybe I want that. You know, Lord, show me your will. Now show me your other will. That's what it, it's double-mindedness. It's, if, if the simple thing is this. We pray a lot in this church. Not enough, but we pray a lot. I pray for all of you, all during the week, by name. My wife does with me. But why would I bother to pray and ask God for something if I don't believe He could do it? More than that, if why would I bother to pray if I don't think He's going to do it? Wow. You out there? Okay. In other words, why ask if you're not going to believe? Right? Now, He tells them, don't tell anybody about this. Jesus does not want to be known as a magician. He doesn't want to be known as just a miracle worker. The miracles he did, he did to prove who he was. Someone who came for healing only came for the wrong reason. If they came to know him as Savior, then the healing goes all the way down into the heart. All the way. Again, no one could keep quiet about this. It spread through all the place. That's one thing they didn't obey. Now we look at the dumb and the demon-possessed. He comes across a man who's mute or dumb. He's unable to speak, but he has another problem. He has a demon causing this to happen. And he needs to be free of this afflicting demon. Jesus knew what the problem was, so he cast the demon out. And all of a sudden, the man could speak. And what do you think he said? I always look at this. Sometimes the Bible's silent on this. I always wonder, what did this guy say to Jesus when he could actually open his mouth and speak and never had been able to do that before because a demon was afflicting him and locking his tongue up? What do you think he said? Anybody? All right. Here's what I think. I think when somebody, when you see somebody really get saved, you can't shut them up, nor should you. <laughs> they go around wanting to tell everybody. Most of, most of the time, you know, after I got saved, I went around and offended every one of my relatives. And I've been offending them ever since. Because the gospel's offensive if they don't want Jesus. But... I believe this man was like the guy at the temple gate when Peter and John went up and he says, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give unto you. Rise and take up your bed and walk. And the man went walking, leaping and praising God. If I ask all of you to stand up and just jump a little bit, you'd go, uh-uh. This is not a gymnastic exercise. We're in church here, John. Come on, let's get reasonable. 
Let's don't go walking and leaping and praising. That's just a little bit. Huh? That's right. Enthusiasm. You know what the word enthusiasm comes from? It's enthus. Enthus means God. En means from. Enthusiasm from God. Well, that's just, that's not my notes. So praise comes from the man's mouth. Praise for who? Well, for God, but for Jesus. And right here, the Pharisees step over the line. And in chapter, we get to chapter 12, we're going to see what this step over the line did to them. But listen to what they said. He cast out demons by the ruler of demons. That's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And we'll learn more about it when we get to chapter 12. I want to tell you something about that. I have had to deal with some of my brethren, with people who have problems with demons. And I will guarantee you that no demon would ever cast out another demon. All they want to do is hurt you. That's all they want to do. They hate you because you belong to Jesus and they want to hurt you. Or they hate people who aren't saved because they were created in the image of God and they want to hurt them. No demon would ever cast out another demon. Ever. We'll see later what that, what, what that does to them. Now, in reviewing this, we see these people, a de- diseased lady, a dead girl, two men in darkness, a man who was dumb and demon-possessed. Two weeks ago, Rick Hedger admonished us to see why these people are important to us. And the call that he makes in us, and it's a passionate call, to be involved with him in the process of calling these people to salvation. So we're going to conclude this time together with this statement. These things are what is wrong with the world and our community. These five things. You and I are the only ones with the solution and the answer for these five things. What are you going to do about it? Will you answer Jesus' request to pray? Pray to the Lord of the harvest, that's to the Father. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. Now that's easy to do, although I found praying to be very hard work. Because like Oswald Chambers says, don't say, i got to pray for this great work I'm going to do. Prayer is the work. Prayer is the work. Because if you pray and you spend the time and the effort to pray, the work will take care of itself. God will take care of it. You just got to be sure you're going where you're supposed to go and doing what you're supposed to do and praying for who you're supposed to. So here's the answer. By the way, not only pray the Lord of the harvest to send out workers, be one of those workers. Be one of them, because you're the only workers God's going to work with. He's not sending angels down here to preach the gospel. It's you and me. So today, I invite you to come. If you've been putting off joining this church, 
you need to do that soon, like today. But even more important, if you've been putting off joining yourself by faith to Jesus Christ, you need to do that soon, like today. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. For the passion you instill in us as we read it, as we follow you. Lord Jesus, you who sit on the throne are the same Jesus who's in me right now. You deserve to have all of me. You deserve for me to be thinking of you as my only life. You deserve for me to say I have been crucified with Christ, but yet I live. Nevertheless, not I, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And Lord, we we long to bear the fruit of love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, meekness, temperance, and faith. We faithfulness. We we desire that. But our flesh is always fighting against you. And you against it. Help us to get on the right side. Release your spirit on this church. To do what he does best. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.